here in southern New Hampshire. Um, if you don't know me, uh, I'm Pastor Jeff Grant. I've been a pastor here for, this is my 13th year, um, being here. I'm the pastor over ministries, uh, mostly over children's, uh, ladies, men's, senior saints, everything else that nobody else wants to do, uh, security, stuff like that. Um, so uh, as we looked at what we were going to be uh, preaching on, uh, we're hoping that in this vision that we have this year, we can help uh, sort of pass it on to you guys that we want to have the light of Christ shining us so much that it shines into the light of the community around us. We're trying to focus on this, how Christ changes us with his light. So this vision is based off of Matthew 5.16, a very familiar verse where we're told to let our light so shine before men that we may, you may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as we were talking and praying before the summer started, uh, or as we were getting into summer, uh, as Pastor Greg came to us and asked us to uh, pray about what we're going to bring as a message, what the Lord will lay on our hearts, we uh, asked some questions. Pastor Dan's really great about taking notes for us sometimes. To ask ourselves some questions uh, most of the time. On, <laughs> we're always asking Dan, what did we just say? What did we just do? Uh, on what kind of questions that will help us share the message we're presenting. Uh, questions like what um, truth of Christ has reshaped your life, personally my life. And uh, how did it reshape your life and how should it reshape others' lives? Well, as uh, we prayed and thought about this, I know for me personally, there are so many truths in the Bible that it would just take forever. And just trying to pick one is difficult. Um, so uh, I know that for myself, there's truths in the Bible that continue to shape and has shaped and continues to reshape my life as I continually grow as a Christian, because that's what we're supposed to do. We need to continually grow, correct? Okay. So the one I want to share with you today is a truth uh, that's taken me a lot of years to work on, and I, and I know I'm not there yet. And that truth has shined light into my life. It has reshaped my life. It shaped it and reshaped it many times over and over again. And I hope it does yours. And this passage I'm going to uh, preach out of today is found in John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 through 19. I will pull it up in a second, but if you want to look it up, it's John 21, verses 15 through 19. And basically, it asks the question, what is your level of love for Jesus? And so I hope uh, as we go along here, I can explain this a bit more and help you to look at your own love for Jesus. So um, Pastor Greg created this wonderful uh, slide deck for us to use. And I, I'm really old-fashioned. I was saying to the first service, you're lucky I'm not up here with an overhead projector with transparencies. That's me. That's me, or a dry erase board. Uh, so we have these wonderful slides. I am not as as um, adequate as it as some of the other guys. Uh, I try to be. Uh, one of the things um, I want to do, because uh, they send it to you and says, well, here's where you put the title for your message. I'm like, I don't know. So at first I thought I was going to call it, um, Who Do You Love? But I, I knew for sure that fellow 80s people like myself will automatically go to that 1978 song by George Thorogood, Who Do You Love? I know it's already stuck in Pastor Greg's head. I'm sorry if it's stuck in yours now. So I said, I won't do that to Greg. <laughs> so instead, I said, I'll call it, Do You Love Jesus? It's very churchy. It's very Sunday-sounding, right? It's a good question to ask people on Sunday. Do you love Jesus? So uh, as we get into this, let's go before the Lord in prayer and just ask him to just open up our hearts and minds to his will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to be here today to be able to worship you. Lord, as I bring this message that you've laid upon my heart, I just pray that as you 
has, have taught me through this message and continually teach me through this message that you, you help others to learn from it also. Lord, I pray right now that as we've already prepared our minds through worship through these wonderful songs that we sang, that you continue to open up our hearts and minds to your will, to hear the words that are yours, to hear the message that you are presenting, Lord. I pray for every single person in this room, all the workers that are making this happen this morning, all the children's church workers, all the nursery workers. Lord, be with all of us today. Bless this day for us and strengthen us. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Okay. So John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Very familiar verse. You probably know it. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death, by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so it's very clear that this passage is focused on Peter. And actually, he's already been pretty high profile in the first half of John chapter 21. And what we're seeing here is, again, that Peter has acted disobediently to Jesus. And because Peter was a leader, he led the other men who were with him into uh, disobedience. So what I want to do here this morning is I want to paint a picture of what's happening at this time just to get your brains attuned to the story. Because a lot of times we get here, we get ready for worship, we listen to the songs, uh, and they get us ready. But then we sit down and think, okay, it's time to go to sleep. So please don't fall asleep yet. I'll keep asking if you're awake. Get your minds open. Get your imaginations flowing. Are they open? Oh, I got, you guys are better than the first service. Your minds are open. You're ready. Okay, so you get this picture of what's going on here. All right, I'm going to paint this picture for you. It's been a couple of weeks, give or take, right, uh, since Peter had denied Jesus on the night Jesus was arrested. Some pretty amazing things have happened since then. The most significant being that Jesus died and was resurrected. And he had already appeared to many people, including the disciples, twice in Jerusalem. So you got it? You got a picture of what's going on here? Okay. Jesus told the, these disciples, these particular disciples, go meet me in Galilee for further instructions. You go, 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 meet, go wait for me there. Where uh, he now has met with them for a third time. But the circumstances were not exactly ideal because when Jesus arrives in Galilee, the disciples that were present were not doing what they should have been doing. They were supposed to be waiting there for Jesus. But Peter decided instead of sitting around and being idle to do just what he used to do, go fishing. And the others were like, a fishing trip? That sounds great. We'll go with you. So they all went fishing. They put out in their boat, and they fished all night, and they caught nothing. Zippo. They caught nothing. And as the sun came up, they heard a man on the shore call to them and say, hey, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, if you've read the passages before, the man on the beach was Jesus. 
I'm painting the picture for you still. Jesus is the man on the beach, and he's asking them a question. Hey, you don't have any fish, do you? They didn't recognize him yet. And this question Jesus phrased in such a way that expected a negative answer. Jesus is great at saying things in just the right way to pull out the answer he needs. And he wants to point out the reality of their failure to catch anything that night. So the disciples say, no. And then the stranger told them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat and they would catch fish. This is back in verse 6 and 7. And they did this and they caught a very large, a large catch, one that they could barely haul in. It's at this point that John realizes that this stranger is Jesus. What's amazing is that what just happened right now in this passage today is nearly identical to the miracle that Jesus had performed when he first called Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples that Pastor Dan read this morning in Luke 5. The same miracle. And Peter, being the overly dramatic, super enthusiastic disciple, does what? He jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to shore because he wants to be with Jesus so bad. And he left the rest of the disciples to haul in that large catch of fish. And when they reached the shore, they found Jesus was cooking them a breakfast of fish and bread over a charcoal fire, over a bunch of coals. You guys still awake? Okay, I want you to still picture this in your head. I want you to picture everything that has happened in the past few weeks in the disciples' lives. You had Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They're like, woohoo! He's going to come in here and he's going to conquer everybody. It didn't go the way they thought. It went the way Jesus thought, not the way the disciples thought. You have Judas's betrayal. I'm sure that rocked them a little bit. Here's one of our own. Betrayed Jesus. Jesus gets arrested and gets put on trial. Pretty sure that's hard for them to take. You have Peter's denial of Jesus times three. You have Jesus being crucified. You're having the disciples scatter a bit. And you have Jesus' resurrection from the, his, the dead and his appearance to many. Wow. I don't know how busy your weeks have been. Pastor Greg and I were talking about how busy our past couple of weeks have been for us. But it's really not much compared to all this stuff. That's a lot going on, right? So you have that all in your heads right now? You guys are right there with Peter on the beach? Yes? Okay, at least in your heads. Okay. All right. So you're picturing this. So I'm wondering with Peter, if he had a, sort of a feeling of deja vu on this particular day, maybe he was recalling that other catch of fish when Jesus met these fishermen and called them and told them to drop their nets and leave it all behind and, and Jesus would make them what? Fishers of? Fishers of men, that's right. And if you remember the story, they dropped everything. They all dropped everything and follow Jesus. They're like, yes, Jesus, we will follow you. We're leaving everything behind. Nothing will distract us. So here we are, three plus years later, after traveling with and being taught by Jesus, after seeing the resurrected Lord a few times already, and here Peter has led his fishermen friends back to fishing for fish, not men. Maybe Peter was uh, remembering that day uh, after Jesus fed the 5,000 when Peter himself had given his clear-cut witness of faith in Jesus as Lord back in John uh, 6. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe the coals of Jesus' breakfast fire here 
reminded Peter of those coals he stood by when he denied Jesus the second and third time. Maybe. So you got your imaginations working. You're there with Peter. Can you imagine what he was feeling possibly? Maybe Peter was thinking and feeling that I went back to my former life of fishing because I have messed up so many times serving Jesus that I'm just inadequate to be a follower of Jesus, much less a leader. Maybe. Maybe Peter felt guilty about how many times he, he failed Jesus, which was many. Maybe he felt weak. Maybe he felt like, I just can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I'm not strong enough to do what you're asking me to do, Jesus. Maybe he felt weak. We do know that Peter was a man who, who didn't have a lot of patience. He was an impatient guy. He liked to, he's a man of action, right? He didn't wait for the boat to come in. He jumped in and he swam himself. I wouldn't do that. I don't know about you, I would not do that. I'd be like, hey, bring the boat in, please. I'll get to you. I wouldn't do that. So maybe Peter was feeling a little sheepish that he didn't wait on the Lord's timing. Jesus told him, go there and wait by the Sea of Tiberias. And I'll come there. And Peter's like, okay, here we are waiting for Jesus. Been long enough. You know what? He's not here. I'm going to go back to my old life. Maybe Peter was feeling that a little bit. And I think most of us can relate to Peter, frankly. I really do, because he's like us, or we're like him. Peter has all of the failures that many of us are so familiar with in our lives. As I listed off those things Peter might have been feeling, how many of you thought, ooh, I'm kind of like that sometimes? Peter has all these failures that we have. Peter overestimates himself and underestimates temptation. That ever happened in your life? Peter thinks he's more committed to following Jesus than he really is. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? But Peter says, Lord, I will never forsake you. I will always be there for you. Hey, Peter, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? Now, I don't know him. I don't know him at all. Cock-a-doodle-doo. He's not as committed as he thinks he is. Peter thinks he loves the Lord more than he actually does. We see in Scripture where Peter thinks he can face any trial triumphantly only to find out he can't. Does it sound familiar? By the time we get to this point, even though Peter has seen his risen Lord multiple times, I think, I think Peter's kind of a broken man here. I think he's feeling kind of beat up and broken. I know I would. Lord, I've, I've, I've failed you so many times and here you are again coming to me. So as we see here in our passage that following their breakfast meal on the shores of the Sea of Tiberias, Jesus turns to Peter and asks some questions about Peter's devotion. This morning I said, uh, I told the first service, I said, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here, but Pastor Greg did confirm if I put it in my notes, it's not a rabbit trail. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I want to point out something here. I want to point out a perfect example of discipleship. Okay. You guys are there, right? You have it all in your imagination. You're there, just like Peter. You can, you can understand Peter, right? Okay, so we, here we have Jesus taking the time to feed Peter a meal before he dealt with his spiritual sin and his spiritual needs. How loving is that? How loving is that? 
Jesus gave Peter, he's there to talk to Peter. Peter screwed up. He's there to be like, Peter. But Jesus gives Peter time to dry off from his little swim, sit by the fire and get warm, satisfy his hunger by eating some fish, and enjoying some personal fellowship before he ever says, all right, let's talk about what you did wrong. Let's talk about what's going on here. That is incredible, a perfect example of what it's like to be a shepherd, what it's like to be someone who takes care of somebody else, discipleship. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that it's more important than the spiritual side. Absolutely, in the light of eternity, caring for the spiritual state of someone and their salvation is more important than their physical state. Absolutely. I will not disagree with that. But caring for the physical side of somebody's life can help prepare the way for the spiritual. You don't always have to jump into the spiritual right away. Sometimes they need you to take care of the physical first. This is hospitality at its best. Jesus gives us a perfect example, and we all need to be like Jesus. Okay, so Jesus asked uh, three, Peter three questions to pull out what was in Peter's heart, and then he makes three statements about the responsibility that Jesus was entrusting to Peter. And in each of these questions, uh, Jesus addresses Peter as Simon, son of Jonah, his old name. He keeps calling him Simon. Did you notice that? I highlighted it there in orange if you, if you needed to know that. He keeps calling him Simon, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Uh, why? Well, a lot of scholars uh, have suggested that uh, Peter, uh, Jesus used Peter's old name in order to call Peter's attention to his backsliding. Very possibly. Again, Jesus is so good with his words. He's so good at and, and uh, precise in his speech. I'm sure this probably struck Peter's heart, right? Oh man, why is my Savior calling me by my old name, not the name he gave me? I'm sure this probably affected him. The dialogue that happens here in the passage has a few interplays of Greek synonyms. I'll only bore you with two of them. Uh, There's many in here, but I'll only bore you with two of them, the two for love. Uh, Agapao, which we get agape from, which is a greater sacrificial love, and phileo, which is an affectionate brotherly love. I made the... uh, the definitions as simple as possible because I'm a simple person. So of these pairs of uh, synonyms, uh, synonyms, keep trying to say that. I kept saying cinnamon when I was reading this to myself. Synonyms, um, the Greek verbs for love have inspired uh, the most common in all the commentaries and articles that I read because Jesus uses agapao twice and phileo in the final exchange, but Peter uses phileo throughout. So why is this important enough to bring up today? Uh, I told the first service, well, it's really because I just wanted to show off a little bit that I studied. Ah, some of you are awake. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, I did study. But I think it's important to show this variation, whether it's a feature of John's Greek style of writing or that it's been preserved for us to read because it bears some meaning. If you are serious about studying God's word, then really you have to be ready to dive into the Greek at least a little. I was telling the first service that uh, years ago we had a, a theological school here, uh, NSTM, Northeast School of Theology and Missions, I think is what it was called. I took a class here with uh, Pastor Pierre Williams, and I remember him hammering that to some of us. He was hammering that you, you, have to, you have to know Greek. I'm like, I barely speak English, Pierre. 
I'm not going to learn Greek. So here we are. He laughs now when I talk to him. Here we are, you know, 15 years later, and I know some of the Greek. I mess it up, but I know some of the Greek. But if you're going to study the, the Bible, if you really want to know what's being said there, you can definitely dive into this. You should dive into this. Uh, we find in the Greek word phileo, an affectionate, brotherly, friendship-type love, and that could be the, the love that Peter is trying to express. Or it could be the agapao, the sacrificial love that's being expressed. What's happening here, though, that's important, is Jesus is challenging the quality of Peter's affection in these questions. So if you're a scholar and you're sitting out there with your Greek lexicon right now and you're stressing over the verb tenses and saying, Jeff, you're messing it up, please relax. Please know that these verbs were all interchangeable in the first century and that even John himself uses uh, all these synonyms. And if you really want me to mess with your head, because you, you guys got it there, you're there with Peter and Jesus next to the fire, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Peter and Jesus are speaking to each other in Aramaic. Okay? So just want to mess with your head a little bit there. I think the biggest point here is that Peter confesses some limit to his love. He's confessing some limit to his love. Each time Peter asserts his love for Jesus, he also states, you know that I love you. And the last time he adds, you know, you know all things. In verse 17, he says, you know all things, Jesus, suggesting that he understands Jesus' omniscience. That's why the repetition of the question really bothered Peter. It probably took uh, Peter a while to figure out why Jesus asked him the same question three times, which Jesus already knew the answer to, but still he asked it. Uh, that's a counseling tactic, by the way. We use it in counseling. You ask, you ask the same question over and over again, you know, even though you know what the answer is going to be. Now, now, Jesus, of course, he's much better at counseling than I am. I think what he's doing here, the reason for his repetition, was because Jesus had a lesson for Peter's benefit and for ours. Another question that comes up in, in our, with our passage there is um, where it says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Uh, so many commentators uh, and such, they're, they're like, okay, what are, what are the these? Is Peter being asked if his love for Christ exceeds his love for fish or fishing? That's plausible. He went back to his old life, right? It's plausible. It could be that. Or is the question referring uh, to these as the, uh, the other disciples? Could be. Could be. Jesus is, uh, either way, Jesus' challenge uh, to Peter is that he considers carefully his love for Jesus and take up the task of completely following and serving Jesus. And Jesus will challenge Peter, as we see, to recommit his efforts to ministry. And he uses a sheep metaphor for that. I love sheep metaphors. I grew up next to a farm with sheep and horses and pigs. They make sense to me. I don't fish. I'm not a fisherman. Fishing metaphors don't make that much sense to me. My future son-in-law is a fisherman and is begging me to go fishing with him. It's not going to happen. I'm not a fisherman. So regardless of how much is to be made of these word distinctions, the key issue that's here is the love for Christ. That is the key issue that's being tackled here. Peter, Peter's earlier three denials uh, here are answered in three affirmations of love and service. Jesus clearly wanted love for himself to include both Peter's will and his emotions, his head and his heart. And then he wanted it demonstrated in a life of discipleship and devotion to serving Jesus as the Lord Jesus has called, him to, has called Peter to do so. And remember, if it's in Scripture, it's, got, it's been preserved for us to read because why? It's important for to be applied to our lives too. So he asks questions. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Then feed my lambs. 
Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Then tend my sheep. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If you're sitting there and wondering why it switches from sheep to lambs, that's purposeful. Uh, Again, growing up on the farm, lambs are the younger sheep, the little babies, and sheep are the older, stubborn ones. Jesus is very clever and very smart and wise in how he does things. So here in these questions, what you have is a call to follow Christ and then an action to follow. The questions are, are a call to love Christ, a call to sacrifice for Christ, and a call to follow Christ no matter what. For every follower of Jesus, there is a necessity of a call to love, of a call to sacrifice, and a call to obey. This is the stuff that discipleship is made up of. You've heard us talk about discipleship quite a bit here at this church, at least since I've been here as a member, much less a pastor. Disciples make disciples who make disciples. Well, this is the stuff of discipleship, loving, sacrificing, and obeying. It's the stuff of discipleship right there. You studying it? You got it? Good, because it's gone. Okay, because there'll be a test later. And while what comes out of Jesus' question, do you love me, is easy to talk about, it is by no means easy at all to do, to live out. I want you to think about it. You still have your minds open right now? To love Jesus the way we're called, or to love anything or anyone, the way we're called to love as Christians, that's not easy. We are called as Christians to love Jesus and to love each other. That is not easy, is it? Think about it. I'll use a personal example. That joker who lives down the road from me with that loud muffler, if you're my neighbor, you may have heard this, that loud muffler that is so loud and he always has his windows down, doesn't matter what time of year it is, playing that loud rap music, and he only drives by my house at 4.30 in the morning and midnight, and I swear he slows down and revs his engine, my kids have paid attention. They said, well, Dad, it's because he's turning. Uh, I asked the first service this. It wasn't any of them. It's none of you, right? Who's my neighbors? I have to love that guy? When you're standing in line at the checkout counter and you have that person in front of you, that woman who's causing a scene and demands to see the manager, in today's modern and popular terms, that person is called a Karen. If your name is Karen, I apologize. I have to love her? That person that so hurt me in the past, I have to love them? Loving as we're called to as a Christian is hard to do. It's not easy. To sacrifice is harder. To sacrifice the way we're supposed to, that's not easy. You want me to give up what for these people? You want me to give up time? My time? My home? You want me me to bring these people in my home? I I don't want these people in my home. You want me to give up my money? I work hard for my money. You want me to give up my job and come serve you, Lord? You want me to give up my family to serve you, Lord? It's not easy. What was the last one? Here's your test on that list. Obey. Next to impossible. To obey Christ completely? 
That's a phenomenally impossible task. I'm doing better than first service. I started crying here in the first service. I'm going to try not to here because uh, I know very often my reaction to the question from Jesus, do you love me, is those reactions you just heard. You want me to love these people? You want me to sacrifice whatever? You want me to obey you completely? I know I personally fail in this area. As followers of Christ, we are told by the Lord himself in his gospel that we are to submit ourselves completely to him, to, to find our lives by losing them, to fulfill our lives by emptying them, and to live our lives for him by dying to self. Not easy. But we're told in Scripture this wasn't going to be easy, right? But it's so not easy when you start to think about it in all reality. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Scripture tells us that following Christ is not easy. We are sitting out here, and I'm guessing most of us, if not all of us, many of us, consider ourselves Christians. So you've accepted that it's not going to be easy. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you have to count the cost, because the cost will be your life, as in submitting your life to him. It could mean it the other way, too. It could mean your death. If Jesus calls you somewhere, will you give up your life for him? It's possible. It's possible that could happen. And I get that this is a very, very hard call to follow. I get that. I, I completely understand that. I struggle with it. What could possibly... You got your imaginations going still? Your minds are open? I need you thinking right now. What could possibly get you to or motivate you or me or anyone else to live a life of total obedience and sacrifice for Christ? How on earth, what could motivate me to obey him this way, to sacrifice this way? The answer is actually in the scripture passage we read. Do you remember? The one we started in this morning. What did Jesus ask Peter? Do you love me? So the answer to what can motivate us to do this is love. Think about it. You're still thinking, right? You didn't fall asleep? You're still thinking, right? Okay, I see a few nods. Okay. Did you fall, if you fell asleep, raise your hand. I'll call the ushers. Mm. <clears throat> Think about it. Love is a powerful emotion on a human level, and it can give people powerful motivation. Love is so powerful that it draws out the best in people. I have a friend here today. I won't call him out, but I'm looking at him. I have a friend here today. When I first met him, I did not like him. I actually have two friends here today that are like that. When I first met them, I didn't like either one of them. I thought they were jerks. But through the love of Christ, through the love in their lives, they are very dear friends of mine, family members of mine. I love them dearly. Love can bring out the best of people, absolutely. 
It can also bring out the worst. It can. Love can bring out the worst. Love will cause someone to give up their life for someone they love, whether a spouse or a family member or a child, maybe a close friend. We've seen it happen. Some people have such great love for their cause, whatever that might be, that they will give their lives for their cause, whether some sort of political stance or or something like that, or, or maybe in the service and their love for their country. Love is so powerful that love will cause someone to sacrifice everything just to live with one other person the rest of their life in the solemn bliss of matrimony. I asked the first service this morning how many of you uh, chuckled at the word bliss. It is blissful. The problem is, is, uh, you know, God created marriage and modeled it for us, and we just keep messing up. So if your marriage isn't completely blissful, be more like Jesus. But I know I did that. I gave up everything in my life just to be around my wife, Julie. Stopped hanging out with the friends I was with. I just gave up everything. I even gave up jobs, which she wasn't happy about. I'd quit the job just so I can go be where she was. And I'd be there. She'd be playing basketball. I'd be like, hi. She's like, shouldn't you be working? Mike, I quit to be with you. We'll live on love. Love is a powerful motivator. Doesn't always make us do smart things. Like I said. But love can also destroy your marriage. Relax, I'll get to it. It can destroy your marriage or it can destroy your life. Love of something can destroy what you should be loving. A love of something can lead to addiction. It can lead to deception, bitterness, anger, suicide, murder. It all depends on what you love. So in all actuality, we follow the things we love. We follow the experiences we love. We, we follow the people we love. And we do it with a fair amount of ease and no effort, correct? Yes? All right, I'll give you some made-up examples. Some made-up examples. It's 4.30 in the morning on a Sunday. It's negative uh, 17 degrees. It is raining and sleeting outside, but you're getting up and you're heading down the highway, down 95 or 495. I don't remember how to get there. To get to Patriot Place, so you can tailgate before the Patriot game. And as soon as you're done tailgating, you're going to get in there so you can sit your, yourself on that freezing cold seat and watch the Patriots. Maybe you love something so much that I, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't be here today. It's 2.30 in the morning. I got to get up, get my gear together, and be out before the sun comes out to get to my favorite fishing spot because the trout, they are a-running. And I got to get out there to be fishing. I see some of my young friends here. I can't be there because the movie I've been waiting for to come out is coming out tonight, and I'm going to be there at midnight when it opens. I'm camping out there with my sleeping bag to see Spider-Man. I'm not saying they did that. (laughs) So we are capable of this kind of motivational love, all right? That's just some made-up examples. In the first service, I made the mistake of mentioning the Cowboys football team, and I lost my sound. Don't touch it. I won't do that in this one. So, I gave you some made-up examples of being motivated by love, right? Can everyone relate to something like that? 
something that motivates you to sacrifice, to give up, to be, do whatever you have to do to be with whatever that is you love. Maybe, maybe it's um, getting up wicked early in the morning, getting all the lunches together, getting all the gear together, and getting your kid to that soccer tournament. A lot of us have done that. Maybe it's making sure you give up your job and go see your girlfriend because you just want to see her so bad. It's not a good thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Keep your job. We all have experienced things like this. What if we took that kind of motivational love, which we all now hopefully have a good idea and have experienced sometime in your life, what if we took that and we moved it into the spiritual side of our lives? Love is powerful. It's a powerful motivator. We've already talked about that. I've already given you some examples. What if we move that into love for Christ? What if we love Jesus the same way we do with the rest of these things that so drive us in our lives? And serve the Lord an extreme act of dedication. You're like, ooh, extreme act of dedication, I can't do that. Wait a minute. If you were thinking about that fishing trip, that ball game, or whatever else I just listed, yes, you can, because you've done it. So I know you can do it. Right? Right? Okay, there's a few nods out there. In response to the work of God in our lives, we Christians are to be characterized by love. We read this all over the place in Scripture, especially in John's writings. In John 13, 35, this is a familiar one. By uh, this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here, John's talking about us loving one another. People will know we're his, his disciples if we love each other. We owe all that we have to the love of God for us, and it's only proper to respond to that love by loving God and then following his command to love other people. And I know this gives us quite a bit to think about concerning ourselves this morning. I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions uh, at the end of this here. I'm going to ask you a question to think about, and I know it's heavy. What is the level of my love for Jesus? I want you to ask that question and answer it for yourself and for Jesus. What is the level of my commitment to him? Basically, you're asking here is, what is the nature of my claim to be a Christian? If Jesus were here this morning and asked you the same questions that he asked Peter, what would be your answer? What would be your answer? I know all of us would love to say, we love, yes, Jesus, we love you. But do we love him more than the things of this world? Do we love him more than the life we lived before we met Jesus? What Jesus is asking Peter is, do you love me? He's asking him, do you really have a strong affection and dedication to me? That's been preserved in scripture for us to read it so we can ask that question too because he's asking us that question. Do you love me? I know uh, that this can be a very heavy and maybe even, uh, even depressing question for me to ask this morning. I, I know that's heavy to think about that, about what is my true commitment, my true love for Jesus Christ. I get that that's heavy. But listen, I, I, don't, want you, uh, I don't want you to despair. I don't want you to despair in this at all especially if you find yourself to be more like Peter than, you, than you'd like to be, right? Please listen. Peter, Peter um, failed. And in that failure came the needed humility 
in order for him to grow and for change to happen. We see here in this passage that Jesus restored Peter and commanded him, follow me. Peter had already been following him, right? Ish. He restored him. And, and as Jesus did this, Peter and Peter did follow him, Peter was changed. Peter had been humbled and he couldn't claim to love Jesus in the sense of agapo love, but that's the love he was commanded to have for Jesus, for Jesus and for others. And the Lord can do the same in our lives. He can do the same in your life. If you humble yourself before Jesus and follow him, he will change you. And trust me, if you don't humble yourself before Jesus, he will humble you at some point in order to teach a lesson, not in a vindictive way, but in a loving way. In spite of all of his faults and failures, Peter did love Jesus. And he, had, he was not ashamed of telling people. He did love Jesus. I'm not saying he didn't love Jesus. And the other men that were sitting uh, around the fire certainly were listening over Peter's shoulder, and they benefited from the conversation because they also have failed Jesus with all their boasting of their devotion. Peter had confessed his sin and been forgiven. That is open to all of us. If there is some sin that you're dealing with, confess it and be forgiven and be restored. Now Peter, we saw here in this passage, he was restored to apostleship and to leadership. And now we get that sheep metaphor, right? Peter changes from a fisherman to a shepherd. Peter was to minister both as an evangelist, which is catching the fish, right, sharing the gospel, and a pastor, which is shepherding the flock, right, being a shepherd. And you know what? Um, I was talking with Jamie Smith about this not too long ago. It's too bad that in today's uh, modern Christianity that we separate those two. It's, it's too bad we separate that because they belong together. They, don't, they, don't, they, they shouldn't be separated. Uh, Jesus commands us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So Christ's command to go is evangelism. That's telling people about the gospel. And the make disciples is what we are to do afterwards. Now, I need you to pay attention to what's up there. If you read through that scripture, it's not saying, hey, specifically just you pastors, bishops, elders, clergy, you go and do this. Jesus is talking to people who follow him and believe in him. This is for all of us. We are to go and tell people about the gospel, the good news. Pastors, elders, deacons, leaders in the church, fellow saints. We ought to evangelize. We ought to tell people about the saving grace of God. All of us. Not just somebody with the gifting. All of us. We need to do that. And then we must shepherd the people who have chosen Jesus as their Savior so that they might mature in the Lord. That's discipleship. Simply, simply put. Jesus gave three admonitions to Peter. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And again, from growing up around the sheep on the farm, I know for a fact that both lambs, which are the young, baby sheep, remember, and uh, the more mature sheep, the stubborn ones, uh, they all need help when it comes to feeding and leading and where they need to go. They need guidance to the feeding pasture. 
I used to do this with my next door neighbor, Angus, Angus McDonald. Uh, if you know Dave Jokey, this is his cousin. So Angus and I used to do this. We didn't have those fancy super trained dogs, you know, that got all the sheep to go with, no. So we, we'd try to lead them from one pasture across the road. So we had to cross a street where people are driving on. And sometimes you get it. Sometimes they, they would go in the right way, but you always have that one sheep that's just like, yeah, we're supposed to go over here, that green pasture. Oh, what's this? A combine. This is great. We lost a sheep that way one day. Thankfully, Mr. Duke, the owner of the farm, did not charge us for that sheep. But it was a good life lesson, he said. We had to clean the combine. I still eat lamb. I don't care. They need guidance to their feeding pasture and then back to their pen at night for safety. They just can't do it on their own. So Jesus uses, uh, oh, and you know what? Pastor Greg mentioned something about sheep a few weeks ago, right? He said, sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Jesus uses a familiar metaphor of sheep and shepherd because folks got it. He wasn't saying that people are stupid. That's not what Jesus was saying. It was just a good example, a good metaphor for him to use because folks got what it, what it meant to take care of sheep. Sheep were part of their economy back then. There are a lo- there's a lot of them that were shepherds for a living, and if they weren't a shepherd, they probably were related to or knew someone that was a shepherd. And it's an awesome responsibility to be a shepherd of God's flock. I didn't put it up on here, but if you want, look up 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, where it talks about what an awesome responsibility it is to shepherd God's flock. It is. There are enemies out there, and even possibly in here, that want to destroy the flock. The flock is us. The sheep, the flock, the church. And a shepherd must be alert and courageous. All right, how many of you looked up 1 Peter 5 two and read it? Okay. So you might be sitting there after you read it and say, well, Pastor Jeff, that's not a lesson for me. That specifically is a lesson for you pastors, uh, you as a pastor and you and the other pastors and your calling. Okay, absolutely. It is true that the Holy Spirit equips certain men to serve as under-shepherds of Jesus Christ and he gives these people to the church. Yes, that is true. And it is an awesome responsibility. But it's also true for each individual Christian that they must help care for the flock. Each of us has a gift or gifts from the Lord, and we should use what he's given us to help protect and perfect the flock, the church. As I mentioned in my very graphic example, sheep are prone to wander. We are the sheep, all of us. Are we prone to wander from this flock? into things we shouldn't. Absolutely. We have to look after each other and encourage each other. The sheep do. If you watch sheep and you're guiding them along, you might get that one dopey one that goes off by himself. But for the most part, they stay together. Okay, for the most part, they're staying together following that one in the front, and they think, well, he must know where he's going, but for all you know, that sheep has brain injuries, so you don't know. But they do encourage each other and protect each other. When a wolf comes, when a lion comes, something to that effect. We didn't have those here. So we need to encourage each other. If you're in ministry currently, if you are in any form of ministry, any way, shape, or form, if you're caring for any believer in any way, shape, or form, guess what? You are shepherding his flock. And and I want to be clear here. I want to be clear. You are shepherding his flock, not yours. 
No congregation belongs to a pastor or an elder or a bishop or whatever. No Sunday school class belongs to the teacher. No believers in a family, in a spiritual sense, belong to the parents. They're gods. That's why in the book of Matthew, the Lord tells us to be careful of how we treat each other because not only do they belong to Christ, but Christ is in them. The love we are to have for each other as followers of Jesus is so much deeper than most of us ever allow into our lives. And it's a shame. The essence of true Christianity is bound up in a love for Jesus so great that following him is the only thing that's important. It's like the number one thing and everything else is less than secondary. It's all about love. From the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, with Adam and Eve, to the Mosaic Revelation, to uh, the New Testament, and all that the apostles write, we are called to love God with all our hearts, with all our, our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. That is the first and great commandment, remember? What's the second that's like it in, in Matthew 22? To love your neighbor as yourself. They go together. John makes this a major point when he writes his epistles. They're all about loving God in the same way, and John extends them from not only loving God, but to loving each other. So when we talk about what characterizes believers, it should begin by saying that they are driven by a compelling love for Christ. That's where we should be. Love is the power of obedience. Love is the power of duty. Love is the power of service. It's the power of sacrifice. The power of fellowship. Love is the power of worship. Love is everything. Love for Christ. It's everything. It's all about love. I'm going to use the same joke. And according to John, Paul, George, and Ringo, all you need is love. Yeah, see? See, Pastor Greg, did you take names this time? We want all of you up in Pastor Greg's office that laughed at that. Listen to that heathen music. Sorry. Little, little humor just to break the tension, all right? Uh, so let me finish up with some questions for you to answer to yourself and to Jesus. You guys ready? Some, so here's the, here's the testing part. So the first question I have for you, it's a fill in the blank. Do I love Christ more than blank? You fill in whatever's there. More than my job, more than my sports team, more than my child, more than my money, more than my coffee. You fill in the blank. Do I love Christ more than? Do you love him more than serve him? As a pastor, as a counselor, as a fellow Christian, someone who's just been around for a while, I can tell you what you love by what you serve, by what you do in your life, by um, what priorities are in your life. It's pretty easy. It's very simple. All of you can do it. Pay attention to what it is. You, you can see what it is. A committed Christian is compelled and driven by a love for Christ. That's what it should be. And that will show up in his or her life, a life given to the flock, the church, all right, three more questions, and then I'll close us. This one's also fill in the blank, but it's easier. It's easier, because all you have to do is fill in your name. Okay? Ready? Hey, your name, 
Do you love me more than these? Then feed my sheep. Hey, your name here. Do you love me? Then tend my sheep. Hey, you, child of mine, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. These are great questions to answer to yourself, to meditate on, to pray about. Because this is what we're called to as Christians. I hope in this passage you see that as Jesus is talking to Peter and asking these questions. Yes, this is all about, it's, all, it's about the restor- restoration of Peter to his position, but it's also about, hey, Peter, your commitment to me, Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you don't know what that commitment to Jesus Christ is all about, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please, please ask someone. Come to one of us pastors, go to someone who's standing there who kind of looks like he may know what's going on, and ask that person, or her, and ask them. If they don't, they'll direct you to us. We'll be happy to talk with you. Study your Bible. You don't have a Bible? Come see me. We will get you a Bible today. You may be sitting here thinking, okay, I I just don't understand this whole thing. I don't understand being saved. Well, it's all about that we as humans have a sin nature. Great, Pastor Jeff, what's sin? Sin is anything we think, say, or do that is not pleasing to God. God who is a pure, just, perfect being. He can't have anything not good around him. Sin came into the world back with Adam and Eve and it's got passed down to all of us. And we all have this nature of doing things wrong. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, no, I don't think so. I'm a good person, basically. We always throw in that basically, don't we? Because we know we're not a good person. I'll ask you all, do you ever lie? Do you ever exaggerate or, or stretch the truth a little bit and make yourself look better? Have you ever taken anything that's not yours? Have you looked at someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse and thought things about them? How many of you are parents? Raised children? You remember that time you taught your child how to walk or talk, right? It was, a, it was such a big emotional win for me when I got my child to say dada, when I got Jamie to say dada before mama. Real, really rotten of me now that I think about it. But anyways... Those of you that are parents, you've taught your children to walk and talk, and that's so great. Remember that time you taught them how to lie? You probably didn't, but somehow they knew how to. That's a sin nature. And because of the sin nature, we can't be with God who loves us so dearly. He created us. He wants us to be with him. But sin came in. This bad stuff came in. So he came up with a plan. I still love all of you, and I want you with me. So I'm going to come down there in human form, Jesus Christ, the Son, and I'm going to pay the price for your sin. Because God is so just, there has to be a penalty for the bad stuff we do in our lives. And unfortunately, that's death. Forever death. But God loves us so much, he wants us with us, so he says, you know what, I'm going to come down there. Jesus is going to take that punishment for you so you don't have to. Jesus took that punishment on himself. And all we have to do to accept this free gift of salvation, he did it for us to say, hey, I'm going to save you from hell. Because that's what we're talking about here. 
And in order for me to do that, I died on the cross, my blood was shed for you. All you have to do is accept that I did this. Put your faith in me. There's no ritual, there's no magic prayer, there's nothing you have to wear. You don't have to wear a super great flowered tie like I do. It's not what it takes. It takes your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done that yet, maybe consider doing that today. Maybe today isn't the right time for you. Maybe there's physical needs that we need to take care of first. If this is something that you haven't done yet and you're struggling with it, please come talk to one of us, Pastor Greg, Pastor Dan, Pastor Dave, myself, Pastor Joe, Pastor Aaron, Ed, Bill, Bob, any of them, Jim. Come talk to any one of us. And if you're sitting here today and you are one of Christ's followers, you are a child of God, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, please meditate on what we taught today. Please meditate on the message from the book of John. Do you love Jesus? And to what level? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for your holy word, for everything that you teach us in scripture. Lord, we ask that we allow this light to be shined into our lives right now to shape our lives, to reshape our lives so we can serve you better. Help us to love you and be committed to you the way you want us to be, Lord. And Lord, if there's someone here today that hasn't made this decision to accept your salvation yet, Lord, that they do it now. That they say to you, all right, I do say, think, or do things that wouldn't be pleasing to God, so I guess, yes, I am a sinner. And you know what? It makes sense that you love me so much that you want me to be with you, that you sent Jesus to pay the price for my sin. And I'm going to put my faith in you today, Jesus. I pray that somebody has done that today, Lord, that they, they have prayed this, they have spoken this, they have made this decision. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone in this building. I pray for everyone who today, across the world, are in worship of you. I pray for everyone on the face of this world that they know you, Lord. Lord, I just ask for your blessing on my family here, on your flock, that you help us to be sheep that help each other out. Allow us to love each other as we're called to, Lord. Be with us and strengthen us in this. We ask this in your name. Amen.